Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, a.k.a. MDV, and I'm joined today by Savan Matosian. Savan was the executive media director at CrossFit HQ. He is the king of content, responsible for over 10,000 contributions to the CrossFit Journal, responsible for every major motion picture about the CrossFit Games, and all the behind-the-scenes footage. And if you've seen any content from Savan where he's holding the camera, you know how masterful he is at his craft. Now, Savan is also somebody who doesn't hold back. He is always out there speaking his mind, and I really respect him about that. The reason I wanted to talk to Savan is because Savan has arguably seen more coaching and more athletes than just about anybody in the space. But he's also doing something really interesting with his three sons. He has a channel called Three Playing Brothers in which he essentially is coaching and experimenting with his sons through all these different types of endeavors. And the way that he interacts with his sons is truly beautiful. I had a really interesting conversation with Savan, so grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from Savan Matosian. Let's go. Hey, good morning, Savan. Good morning. Thanks for joining me, man. Yep, stoked. I am really stoked. I'm super excited to talk to you. You're obviously a super interesting person, prolific content creator, and whole super impressive long resume of things that you've done and seen. But one of the most impressive things that you've recently done in your personal life is that you've you've cut out carbs and refined sugar or processed sugar uh, nearly completely for how many weeks now? I'm either 10 or 12. I can't, I can't remember, but I, I'm definitely encroaching on three months for sure. And that's a long period of time. And you've been doing yeah. CrossFit and that style of training for over a, a decade, 15 plus years, right? 2005. Yeah. Uh, actually it was the summer of 2006 that I first started CrossFit. I, I, at least I became aware of it. And, um, I, I was, uh, there was a bodyguard at some, not a bodyguard, a security guard at, at a show that I was making for ESPN. And he was like super swole and we were, we were taking a break and I went over to him and we were talking and he started telling me the kind of workout he did. His uh -huh. name's Travis Titus. I believe he's an affiliate owner or he was. And he started telling me the workouts he did. And I remember thinking in my head, the guy's so buff and such an impressive guy, but why does he have to lie about his workouts? He was talking about these workouts that had like a hundred pull-ups in them and like sprints and like putting hundreds of pounds over his head. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then flash forward a few weeks and my buddy and I were in Santa Barbara, um, just camping on the beach for the summer. And he goes, Hey man, I, that thing, that guy said he does CrossFit. Those workouts are real. So we started going to the rec center. That's like the, the gym at UC Santa Barbara. And we started doing um, CrossFit. And when we started, we didn't do it for time. We didn't know anything about it. You know, um, yeah. Greg gave everything away free. That's a whole nother subject when people talk about inclusivity. It drives me fucking nuts. There's nothing ever been more inclusive on the planet or more profound or more giving or better for humanity than CrossFit in my lifetime. Strong nothing. argument. It is the... Um, it is at the top of the pile for making yourself healthy, strong, smart, successful, taking personal responsibility, and everything is free. 10,000 plus pieces of content for free, everything. And that's how I learned it, and that's how anybody could learn it. Anyway, so I, we, we started, we would do Fran. And Matt, you would do your 11 thrusters. Then I would do mine 11, my 11. Then we'd go to the drinking fountain. Then we'd look at some girls. Then we, you know, that's, <laughs> that's how we did all the workouts and they were still kicking our ass. Right. So we would do yeah. Fran, it would take 30 minutes. And we'd be like, Oh, that's really cool. And we'd have to have the website open to be like a thruster. What's that? And look at it was before there was video. So we would look at pictures and, and that's how we got started and, 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 uh, and got addicted. And then I, uh, there was only one person on the media team then Tony budding, and um, I started just emailing with Lauren and Greg and Tony. And next thing I knew, I, I, I was number two and Carrie was number three, Carrie mm -hmm. Peterson. So then mm -hmm. the journey began. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not too dissimilar how I, I started, you know, I was doing fuck my sit-ups in uh, the university gym on a BOSU ball and using the uh, cable cross pull-up bar to do my pull-ups. And it just made it happen and watch videos and read the message boards and yeah, a ton of free content, ton of free value. And eventually through your journey at CrossFit, you became executive media director, right? Yep. And it, prolific. It, I, yes. Um, it's, 
taking taking one step back real quick you know what's funny i just realized is there is a huge intimidation quality about crossfit the fact that it is the its base its origins come in being the fitness program that if your life depends on your fitness there's only one fitness you should mm. be doing and that's crossfit or 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 some some version what what you guys are teaching obviously at nc fit is equal equal for sure um but my um What's interesting for me is I didn't know that when I started CrossFit and I didn't see all the media. So I wasn't intimidated by it, mm. but I was the guy in high school. I was actually the weakest person I knew. I was the guy in high school that actually got picked after all the boys got picked. And then some of the girls started getting picked. I was never an athlete, but there were some things in CrossFit that I was actually good at because it's such a vast array of movements like bench press was never my thing right mm -hmm. i could like i never benched 225 in my entire life but i could do some pull-ups you know and and there and i and i had great mobility you know what i mean i could do overhead squats yeah and so there's a um I've actually never thought of it like that, but there's actually a huge element to it. Once you get past that intimidation thing that actually it shouldn't be intimidating because even if you're a schlep, you're going to be good at something. Yeah. I, I, that might be the greatest lie ever told about CrossFit or that style of training, right? Is that you have right. to be an elite level fitness competitor to do it, which couldn't be further from the truth. And I do think that some of that is an issue for coaches and affiliate owners in handling people who come to the door, whose only exposure is seeing some of these amazingly impressive, you know, uh, never before existed human talents, uh, either on ESPN or on social media. And it gets the play because it obviously is very sexy, very impressive. And, uh, but it could be intimidating. Yeah, that's, that is yeah. for sure. And that's also where the brand value is too. Like my mom, who's, who's 76, who does CrossFit. I know she enjoys wearing her CrossFit shirt to her book club. You know, my mom backs, my mom weighs 96 pounds and back squatted 50 pounds for wow. five reps and set a PR the other day. And I know that, um, you don't want to lose that either. And I know the first time I laid eyed on Rich Froning, I thought he was the most beautiful human being I've ever <laughs> seen. And he still may be. And that's important too. It, I mean, it's nice. It, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's nice that in our community, there's people who um, we can look up to at that level that we can appreciate. Yeah. I, I, do, I do think with the proper explanation, the proper coaching, you can get past that intimidation factor fairly quickly. If, if you articulate why this thing that might look scary on the surface is actually tremendously powerful for you personally, no matter where you're at in your fitness journey, you can, you can squash that right away. But I, I do think that there is that barrier. I, I don't think it's always that easy for coaches who might not feel as comfortable explaining the why behind. I don't think they, I don't think they know, Matt, when I look, when I, that I, I, I try, I don't spend a lot of time reading social media. I'm too busy making content and publishing my own. But when I do look at people's social media, I'm usually at affiliate social media, mm -hmm. and it's profound to me how off base um, a lot of them are in the origins of CrossFit or what they think CrossFit is. They think CrossFit is what it is to them, and that's 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 not what it is. Hmm. Tell me and what it is. So, um, what I said earlier, it's the ultimate self empowerment tool with um for humanity why is that because the the only thing that you can do to make yourself better well i shouldn't say the only thing two of the three things that you can do to make yourself better is eat right and to and to move the 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 third thing is to start doing profound reflection on yourself but what's even crazy about crossfit is in these workouts you are evolving into a being that can do these profound reflections without even knowing that. And the most simple explanation is I don't care how shitty your day is or what mood you're in. If I tell you do a hundred burpees right now, as fast as you can, whether I, whether I wake you up at three in the morning out of a dead sleep or whether you found out your mom just passed away, everything changes for you. You will not be thinking about your mom on burpee 97, 98, 99 and 100. You will bring your awareness back to your breath because you know that you're in oxygen deprivation. When you bring your observation back to your breath, now you are cultivating awareness. I mean, it, 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 
I can't overstate enough. And then on top of that, on the second tier, there's the community. So if you and I went out and you were always eating sandwiches and I was always eating sandwiches, but we're two CrossFitters or two NC fitters or two people who understand this methodology. When we sat down, we wouldn't dare um, eat both pieces of bread on our sandwich because we would have that peer pressure, right? Same reason why you don't drop F-bombs in church. I mean, I don't go to church, but I'm assuming like if I, if I went to church, I would clean up my mouth right away, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So there's there's that healthy peer pressure also within the community. And because of that, it, um, and so to sell, any, to sell anything below that is selling it like way, 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 way short. Yesterday, someone sent me to an Instagram site that I wish they wouldn't have sent me to because I can't get it out of my brain, but it's a doctor. She has 200,000 followers and it's talking about all the things that we could be doing with COVID to save people's lives. Mm-hmm. And, and so I went to one of the posts and I start reading the comments and it's comment after comment. Thank you so much for supporting masks and supporting this and supporting that all of the, the, the all the protocols that are in place from our, um, from the politicians, from the government. And then, so I start clicking on these people who said, yeah, I lost my mom or I lost my dad or I lost my sister. I randomly clicked on five. I hunted down pictures of them. Mm. They were all obese. They were all sedentary. And even one lady said, yeah, and my, it was so sad. My mom just sat with her iPad for 26 days. Well, the study just came out of Germany that 50% of the people who died had pulmonary embolisms. They were created from sitting. I mean, and this is a doctor saying this. When, yeah. when we as a hobby sit on the most, um, as I just mentioned, the most um, – profound practice anyone can have and it's easy and it's short and it's free it's free on the internet yeah yeah so so um i feel so lucky that i found it and and it's and sometimes i like sometimes i feel like i'm like hey i'm making this sound too easy because it wasn't it you know prior to me getting off of refined carbohydrates and sugar we were in covid and we still are in COVID. And basically my life at that point, what I would do is I would wake up every morning and I would open a kombucha at 8 a.m. And my breakfast would be mixing an alcoholic drink, kombucha with a can of um, sparkling water. And then I would start my day like that. And I drink four to six of those throughout the day, you know? And then I was like, at some point I was like, okay, I should stop doing this. Mm. And and then I switched to carnivore. I wanted to go into ketosis. I switched to carnivore diet. And then from there... After two weeks, of, I allowed myself to drink all the alcohol I wanted, but stick, stay strict on the carnivore diet. After two weeks of that, I dropped the alcohol and bam, I started witnessing the miracle happen. And when I say carnivore, I'm pretty, I'm pretty loose on carnivore. By that, I mean, I'll still eat like a clamshell of greens or I'll grab a cucumber out of the fridge mm-hmm. and eat it. But so mostly your diet is, is revolving around a, as close to natural foods as you can get. Zero refinement. Yes mainly meat, all the things that, you know, when you look at the CrossFit nutrition doctrine, you're looking at eat lean meat, fit fruit and vegetables, nuts and fat, no starch, no sugar, right? All the things that we, we know right now. My question, and there's so many, we, we t- covered a lot of stuff already, but my question is, why did it take so long? You've been doing this since 2005. And I'm not saying that maybe 10 weeks or oh. weeks ago, your diet was a complete train wreck, but, but what was it that clicked for you after 15 years to go, I, I need to change these things that I know are, are not doing me well. The, the, um, the, the true answer is I don't know, hmm. but I'll make some shit up for you. <laughs> I, I, I think it was, I think because I had all of those elements, right? I was, I was surrounded by people like you and the CrossFit community for 15 years. Why didn't I make these steps faster? The truth is, is when I came to CrossFit at 34 years old, I smoked cigarettes and drank Diet Cokes like they were um, from the heavens, right? And um, they're not from the heavens? No, they're not. (laughs) I know. It bummed me out when I found that out. Um, and, and, and I remember sometime really early on with CrossFit thinking, oh, I really enjoy smoking and I really, I, um, I love this addiction. I have the nicotine, but I can't do both. 
So I had to kind of choose. I liked CrossFit more. So I gave up the cigarettes because I just wanted to, to, I knew I would enjoy CrossFit more. Mm -hmm. Flash forward to when I'm 48. Now I think it's about, it's something about personal control. I'm going through some sort of change in my life where I'm trying to get absolute control every single place I can. Mm -hmm. And part of me thinks, oh, maybe I did that because I got fired from CrossFit. But I actually had started before. Um, and it, it, it was a very, um, it, it was a very hard three, three years at CrossFit Inc. From when we, they mm-hmm. fired my entire media team of 70 people. They brought in the new CEO who just started destroying the company. And I, I think at that point I knew I had to start grabbing elements of control back into my own life. Right. I had lost control of this. I mean, the team was epic in 2018. Yeah, Every you guys single are person an incredible amount of content, really high quality stuff. Yeah, affiliates were at a high, L1 sales were at a high, everything was skyrocketing. It was nuts. I had the podcast. So I think maybe um, I was externally um, being provided um, with happiness. And so I could sort of like, I, I could, I could not worry so much about myself. Right. Mm. It's the, it's, it's the, it's the guy who, it's the guy who I just saw the, the Armenian gentleman who's releasing the, um, he owns, he's the CEO of the company that's releasing this vaccine in the United States. And he'll probably get a $250 billion contract. Well, he carries, he's probably 200 pounds overweight and yeah, I get it. You got, it, it's, it's much, much easier to be unhealthy probably. Um, actually that's not true. Well, I think one of the the important anyway, I need I think I think the reason is I needed to get control of my life. Sorry, yeah. I was going to take you down this rabbit hole of what, why I think things happen, but then I can think of a lot of reasons why you know being unhealthy isn't fun. No one who's unhealthy is ha- is is having fun, right? Yeah. The the first time you do meth, it's cool. The eighteenth time, all you want to do is quit. That's why yeah. you should never do it once. But, but one of the one of the really interesting things for me there, Savan, is that. Although, although you had been surrounded by the top thought leaders in CrossFit, the best trainers, the best athletes, the people who were doing it at the highest level, and you knew that there was a better path. And I'm not saying that what the path you were on was terrible, but there were things that you, you saw that you could change when you became self-aware of them at that point. But you were only really able to make that change when you were ready to make that change. And I think that that's something that coaches sometimes miss in this whole equation of nutrition and fitness that you can beat somebody over the head for years and years and years with information and cues and, and asking them to change. But in reality, that person has to be ready to make the change before it's really going to happen. You can help them along, but sometimes it's got to be internal. I think most of the time it's got to be internal. Um, I couldn't agree with you more. I love that. And what's cool too is, so um, I don't remember which open it was, 2017 or 18, but Sam Briggs was working out, mm-hmm. and and I and the, and um, Dave had put a someone in the in the open workout that we were broadcasting, a um, someone with type two who had cured themselves of type two diabetes right next to Sam, wow. and the shot kept panning to them, and I'm like, get this dude out of here. We already know he's here. Come on, this is the games. Why are we mixing the two? And but then it it hit me. Though everyone needs to see that, so 20 years from now, when they find out their mom got type 2 diabetes, they realize this silly thing that they thought was CrossFit is actually not silly, and it can save their mom's life. So you're right. You have to still keep beating them over the head so that the message is there. So the second they're ready for it, they can pull it down. It's a slow trickle. Our most profound content wasn't the content, um, the, the amazing content that um, Heber or Marsden made around the games that would get like a million views overnight. The most profound content we make would be some, a weight loss story that opens with 10,000 views, but every year you see it put on 10,000 views to where the highlight reel from 2018 games, it's dead, right? It gets its million views, it's over. But these pieces of content that you make that are what you call the beating over the head of people about the transformation and the, where the information will be eternally true, um, 
yeah, that's that's where the power is. But you still have to keep doing it, right? You still have to keep beating them over the head yeah, well, with but, the information, knowing sure. that they're not going to. Uh, like I tell my kids every time you we leave one of their um, you know instructional courses or a school or a friend, say thank you. I mean, you just have to keep telling them, say thank you, I, say please. The analogies here to how we're talking about content and what is you know, uh, immediately consumed by people and then kind of dies off fast after that huge explosion and then consistency over time to training and how an athlete's journey with consistency being the, the number one thing that I'm looking for in my athletes. And Hey, I don't want you to spike and then die off. The, the analogies there are really, really, uh, really cool for me because it's the same thing in the athlete journey. This is long-term consistency over time. Same thing with that weight loss journey video. We want 10,000 views every year, not a million views on day one. Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. Right. I have a question for you, though. Yes. Why, why did it become so en vogue or cool for people to eat like shit in the CrossFit community who were the thought influencers, who are the coaches, to showcase the donuts, the pizza, the fast food, whatever those cheat meals are, why did it become so popular to do that? You should feel the pressure as a coach and you should thrive under that pressure. That should, that's, that's one of the things with the job. You should thrive under the pressure of being a role model. Does that mean you have to be super fit as a coach? No, I don't think so at all. But you sure as hell shouldn't come in. You shouldn't bring donuts to your I don't think to your, I don't appreciate the, I don't appreciate the gym that brings donuts to their clients at Christmas. There's that, that, that's not what we do there. Bring the meal. That's like healthy for them. Like, I, I don't think you need to have six pack. I don't think you need to walk the, I don't think you necessarily need to walk the walk outside of the gym, but in the gym, there's no smoking in the hospital. Go outside and smoke. And it's, it's, it's kind of like that. We're, we're at that point, especially with COVID that sugar is like, and, and poor diet, it, it, it's, it, it, it's what's really happening. And so, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that on some level inside of this sacred place where we're all healing and becoming better human beings by diet movement and um, self-reflection, that it needs to stay pure. Yeah, you need to be an amazing role model. Does that mean you can't go out with your clients and get drunk as shit? No, I'm not suggesting that. But in the, there are these sacred places. We have to hold them sacred, I think. Yeah, I, I think that there's a certain level of being on. I think for coaches, it's a responsibility. I really do. And uh, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily think that people look at it as being as much of a misstep as I, as I actually think it is. Because you don't know how influential you are in your athletes' lives. You are top three or four most influential people in their lives, I guarantee it. And if you're not pushing them in the direction that they came to you for you're pushing them necessarily in the opposite. And, and that's really tough for me to stomach. So I, I want to actually transition to talking about your parenting and coaching philosophy with your three boys. Um, you know, I, something that you have gotten into much more recently is, you know, the three playing brothers. And you told me the other day that this is, you're living your dream life. And, and I would imagine that a lot of that is, is this, culture and, and, and feeling that you have when you're around your sons and your, your wife and your family. Talk to me about three playing brothers. So someone, someone DM me the other day and they said, why did you get fired from CrossFit? And I responded with, so I, so that I could spend more time with my boys. <laughs> and they just kind of, ex they just kind of accepted that as the answer. I thought I was being funny and they'd be like, no, no, really? Why? But they're like, okay. Um, to con to connect what we were just talking about to the three boys, uh, twice I've shot this video and I'm just never comfortable with it. Um, but and and I need to shoot it again. But I I made this video last night for the second time that said five things you'll never see me do, because and 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 one of them was like when I brush my kids' teeth because I can't hold a camera and brush their teeth. One of them was how much affection I show my boys because I'm not holding a camera when I'm showing them affection. Mm -hmm. But one of the things in there was you will never you won't see me interact with my kids a lot verbally, and the reason why is because I have a 
real, real potty mouth. And I treat my boys like the boys and we listen to songs that most parents wouldn't approve. And I crack all sorts of jokes. And even like the other day I go, you son of a, and my kids go, don't say it. <laughs> my four-year-old said it. And I have a, um, it's not something I want to show. I don't think, I don't think I'm doing it right. I don't think, I think that there's a way, I think I'm maybe like too crazy around them sometimes. Right. Mm. I'm too, and, and, and it works for my boys and it works for me, but I don't want to sell it as, um, I don't want to sell it as, as it's for everyone. And so there are things that even if you are the coach who, you know, who has, who smokes, hide it, go in your car and smoke, mm. feel, feel, feel ashamed. It's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the first step in quitting. Um, so to, to the, the, what I was 30, uh, my wife was 39 years old. I think we'd been together for probably 20 years. Um, uh, we weren't married. We knew we were never going to get married. We knew we were never going to have kids. She was 39. I want to say I was 42, mm-hmm. 41 or 42. And um, a couple of families around us had kids. A couple of people were really close with, we spent a lot of time with. And all of a sudden my wife just said, Hey, I want to have a kid. And like, we'd already decided we weren't going to have kids. So I thought about it for like 10 or 15 seconds. And then we made a kid <laughs> and this kid, <laughs> and this kid came out and, and to, and to be completely honest, so I didn't, I didn't want the kid, not that I didn't want it, not, not that I did not want the kid, but I didn't want the kid. I wasn't craving a kid at mm. all. Zero. And I probably only had did it because my, well, I know I did it for two reasons. My wife wanted it and I felt financially stable right? I knew it wasn't going to rock the boat. I'm the kind of guy who would, who would never, I bought one new car in my whole life. I'm not interested in anything rocking my happiness. Like, and, um, so I thought, Oh, I can manage this. And she had the kid and that that build up to her having the kid that nine months of her being pregnant and the kid coming out were probably like up to that point were the nine best months of my life. I got to watch this woman that I knew in her twenties turn into a woman and now turn into a mom. And she, and I got to learn just, uh, we did the birthing class, which was three hours once a week. That was like the most intimate time I had spent with her, you know, like in 10 fucking years, um, just sitting with her in a class for three hours with my arm around her. She ended up having the baby at home. It, It was just since the second she got pregnant to now six years later, when we have three kids, every day has been, Every day, not one not day, has been mind-blowing, mind-numbing um, happiness for me. Wow. And I think that what, um, even during – and that was during this really dark time at my, at my work, right, at CrossFit, mm-hmm. which, which is kind of a, 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 a misnomer to call it my work. It was my life. Um, but I think one of the things that happens when you have a kid is there's this Taoist saying, I don't know if I'm going to do it justice, but stop thinking and all your problems will end. And when you have a wife who's pregnant and then you have a kid, for me, a lot of this noise just went away. There's, I'm not, there's no more me anymore. It became all about them. Like now when I work out, the most important thing at all costs is never to get injured because then it would cut into my time to ability to um, take care of my kids. Mm -hmm. So just as an example, and maybe there's a reason that's why I'm eating better. Maybe it's to be a role model for them. Shit. I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if I dug into that and thought about that. So, um, so, so the kids come, I'm still traveling a lot. I'm going all sorts of places for CrossFit to China. I'm still traveling a lot, but when I'm home, I'm able to work from home and I'm spending a lot of time with my kids and then in 2018 or 19, when they, when they, we got rid of the entire media company, I, I needed to film. I had filmed since the day, the very first day Apple Final Cut Pro was released in 2001 or two or whenever that was. I purchased it and load. It took me two weeks to load the 10 DVDs into my laptop <laughs> at the time. And I was on the phone with customer service. But since that day to today, I've been making content. It's all I've ever known. And so when we stopped making content at CrossFit, my kids obviously became the next subject. Mm -hmm. Bam. All of a sudden, my Instagram account wasn't Scott Pancheck. It was Avi Marvel Matosian. (laughs) And I just started making content around them. It's really cool. And 
Yeah. And that's, and so I am, I love schedule. I love structure. I love discipline. I try to post every 24 hours on both accounts. Um, I'm stimulated by it. I love the response. I love that, uh, people want to, um, emulate. I get a ton of advice on there, a ton of advice. I've realized that everything I'm teaching, I need to most learn myself. Um, yeah. And, and, and the, the kind of the weird part is, and, and I see this, p- people kind of want to like then project onto me that I'm like some sort of parenting expert, but really I'm just faking it. I mean, I, 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 the, the, the best thing I have going for me is I had loving parents, a loving wife, and I'm old, I'm 48. So those, with those three things, I feel like there's a lot less damage I can do to them. And that's why, um, it appears that I'm being successful. And by successful, I mean, the kids are super shiny, super happy. I mean, like, that's really good. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Six six years of laughing. I don't think many people walking the face of the earth can say that. And I think that you should be really proud of that. You know, I was watching a video of you teaching one of your sons. It was from November 17th, but I don't think it was tagged with the son's name. And I didn't want to get the name wrong, but you were teaching him how to do a clean to an overhead press. And what I thought was really awesome about that video, and I want to explore that with you a little bit, was the absolute simplicity in which you were teaching him and how you were using positive reinforcement and not also afraid to tell him that he had done it wrong or he, he didn't do it the way that you had described. I thought it was really interesting because that's as simple as it gets when it comes to coaching athletes simplicity in your teaching methods positive reinforcement of good motor patterns and providing easy to understand feedback when they do it wrong though that's it and you did it beautifully with your son how does the how does that happen with you and your kids how are you interacting with them in that coaching slash parenting environment Three things because I was surrounded for 15 years by people like you, the red shirts who I I'm just like blown away by just, I mean, my whole life, like I would always want to be a red shirt, but I would never in a million years try to make that step because it would scare the shit out of me. You guys speak to people about how to move. It's the most fundamental thing you could talk to someone about besides maybe like how to breathe. And there's so many moving parts. So I got to be around you guys and watch you guys every single day for 15 years, right? I'm exaggerating, 10 years. Um, the second thing is, is I love watching growth. So when I was a kid, I would grow marijuana and I didn't even smoke <laughs> marijuana, but, um, but you, every morning you woke up, the plant looked different. It's just like, I love, I love the, I love when winter, um, uh, turns to spring. I love walking out to my front yard and seeing how everything is different from when I went to bed. And so with kids, you get that immediate feedback, right? They're like growing right in front of you. So I learned a ton and I really admired people who teach movement. I mean, I cannot emphasize that enough. Then I um, really enjoy change. I really, really enjoy growth. And then, um, and then the third thing, which I think is going to surprise a lot of people, is when I'm holding the camera, it's the best version of me. <laughs> I can set the camera down and turn straight to asshole. And maybe it's because it's God's eye watching me, you know, but when the camera's on and I'm filming my kids, I shouldn't say it's the best version of me, but it's a place to really practice not being a dipshit. Hey man, everything's being recorded. Like, yeah, don't. Yeah. Like you're not going to tell your, you're not going to fucking slap your kid when the camera's on. (laughs) I mean, so, and and I use, I, I don't hit my kids anyway, but I'm just saying like on that extreme, you are, um, it, it's a really, you become, it, it's a good version of you. So those three things have really influenced. And now I have all of these coaches for my kids. So specifically around CrossFit, um, his coach, um, he had someone at CrossFit Santa Cruz who was amazing. I can't remember her name. Do you remember her name? Lori Galassi? Oh, yeah. There, there was a, there was a, there was a coach at CrossFit Santa Cruz, Lori Galassi. Mm-hmm. She 
blew my mind with the kids. She could get my kids to do stuff that I couldn't get them to do. Like just stay the, the, the focus. Then we switched, um, it, uh, because of a scheduling issue, not because of her at all. She, she was amazing. Anyone who can get into that class should take their kid to it. I started taking them to Daniel J. I think it's called fitness West or West fitness. It used mm-hmm. to be called, um, CrossFit, CrossFit West. West. Yeah. yeah. Now I think maybe it's like Santa Cruz fitness or something. I started taking the kids there. His coaching style was a thousand times different than mine. It blew me away. He brought so much energy to the game. Like with me, I'm a little more quiet and watching and trying just to fine tune little things. This guy, he charges at them like, and, and it was super effective and he held them. Although he just worked on one cue at a time, like, like the red shirts do just fix one fault at a time. He would come at them so hard. He still does. Like when he comes over to the house, he just, and, and they thrive on it. They giggle, they laugh, they, he holds their attention. So I know I'm a little all over the place. Everyone has their own. I don't think there's one way to do it. I agree. Especially, yeah. Especially, especially, um, especially with kids as a parent, if you, for me, and, and I'm going to say this, and I, and I really don't know if this is true. Like some of the other shit I'm so adamant about that I'm hundred percent true. Like sugar kills. I don't know if this is true, but I can't imagine not, I, I do this because I like watching my kids move and I like watching them grow. That's it. I have no interest in them being a professional athletes. I have no um, aspirations that they go into sports. It's just, it's, it, it, um, I like watching them build Legos, just anything that they, I love watching them move and I love watching them grow. And because I have that, I can give them endless attention, right? It's like better to, than then, you know, some people like TV or might like Game of Thrones that might be in their top 10. If you have kids and you enjoy watching human beings move and grow, then you found your, I mean, it's your ultimate muse. Someone, someone told me that I, I haven't read any of his stuff, but people loved this guy named Jordan Peterson. Are you familiar yep. with him? Yeah. Okay. 10 rules for life. And, yes. Yes. Actually, someone sent me the book. Is it 12 rules? Uh, tw- uh, 12. Yeah. 12 rules. It's either 10 or 12. Okay. So 12 is a lot. Um, <laughs> someone, someone said, make kids that you like. And that's another huge thing. Sometimes I see parents that have made kids that are unlikable. And when I made my kids, when I deal with my kids, when I mold my kids daily, I don't, the things that you would think would make them likable, um, actually will make them unlikable. And that's mm-hmm. a pretty hard part about parenting. That's actually, Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have children myself yet, um, but I could understand how that would be very difficult, very challenging, especially if you see them expressing things that you've taught them and on the outside or at the in, outside world, they're unlikable because of it. That would be very hard. But specifically for, for coaching, I think that you, you highlighted a bunch of really cool stuff there. Number one is that you can be really effective with different approaches as long as you're doing it with a tremendous amount of care and the, the health and the happiness of the person on the other end of the equation is paramount, not your own ego. And then number two was this ability to just be like engaged with them and be that version, that best version of yourself when you're with your client or you're with your kid and being able to just be fully invested in that. And I think that that a lot of times gets in the way of coaches being effective is, is not being able to tap into that part of their best personality, bringing their bad day into the equation or thinking about something else, getting distracted. When I watch you coaching your, your kids, when you're on the camera, you're all in. It's really cool. The, the worst thing that can happen is you actually, I mean, not to the kid, but to yourself is if you make your kid retract that really, as a parent, that is the worst thing. What is so I'll, give you an, I'll give you an example. Um, you do. Um, so the other day I was discussing with, I was talking to a doctor about, we were talking about COVID and um, she said, you're, what well, she said something really harsh, something about being indignant, invincible, and selfish. 
Like we were talking about COVID uh -huh. and then she attacked me. She went ad hominem. It's basically anytime you go ad hominem, you'll force someone to retract. What is ad hominem? Ad hominem is where you get off the subject and you attack the person. So like you're doing a clean, you're teaching the clean and I walk in the room and I go, oh, the, 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 the response that, that moves the world forward is, oh, Matt, have you thought about telling that guy to keep his elbows back? Not holy fuck, Matt, you're a shitty coach. Like that, that's not, that's not what we're, hmm. that's not what we're here for. We're here to help the clean. So when you're with your child, if you start addressing them instead of the movement or the behavior, you'll cause them to retract. No, no one wants to be attacked. Everyone hmm. will always like retract inward. And the, and for me, one of the most painful things to see in my child is when they go in their head, Right. I, it, it's so, um, and I see them, st the wheels start spinning. I, they're going to have a whole lifetime to be in their head. I don't want them to be in there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't, it, it, it's like, um, it's like putting, it's like people who teach their kids, uh, it's too, too far off subject, but. No, I I've seen this happen with coaches where they, where they give a piece of feedback to somebody that is very personal and, and it comes across as being an, an attack on the individual that they are either incapable of doing it because they don't, they are not caring about how they're performing it or they are uh, you know, you are a ungifted type of person. You couldn't possibly understand how to do this. That is an atrocious way to deliver feedback on something like a, a movement that you're doing, right? You, you're there to help this person and give them direction through your thoughtful guidance, not to attack them and make them feel like an idiot. That fantastic is illustration. Thank you of the equation. Huge part. One of the, one of the things that I think is really cool about watching you with your kids though, is kind of following that, that lead is you, you allow your kids to fail and you don't, baby them about the failed attempt you let them you and these are children we're talking about they cry you let them figure it out though what is that process like so as a parent there's two things you want to do when you hear your kid cry you, you're there's a there's a biological response i think that you just want to go over and pick them up and it starts from the very second they come out of the womb anytime you hear your kid cry you want to go over there and pick them up and then the second thing is, is then it reaches a point where you want to tell them to stop. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so um, they tell you that they want cantaloupe for breakfast and you tell them you don't have cantaloupe and they're three years old. The next thing you know, they're screaming their head off. You just want to tell them to stop. The, the right thing to do, in my opinion, is to always address. Don't address the behavior. Just keep moving forward. All. Uh, I think the best way to explain it is the way my wife explained it to me. Basically, we all just have thoughts in our head and they're just coming and going, right? Coming and going. Responses, thoughts, interactions. Someone honks a horn, you turn your head this way. Your phone rings, you pick it up. You're just constantly reacting to things that are happening on the outside. If someone's in a bad space, that, and, and this is, you know, the Buddha saying this, the, the saying is anicca, this will pass. And so what you don't want to do is you don't want to give their current situation, if you don't want them in it, more energy, more energy could be anything, um, even things that, and that's what, uh, even things that you think might be helping could actually be giving it more energy. Mm -hmm. That's actually a huge problem we have in society right now. People are giving things energy, thinking that they're helping, but they're making the problem worse. Mm -hmm. They're basically arguing. There's a whole cadre of people out there who are arguing the limitations of society. We cannot do that to each other. We have to believe in each other. We have to not look at people's behaviors and let them move on to the next thought, move on mm -hmm. to the next thing. So my child, I'm asking my child to throw the ball with his um, left hand and, and hit a target and they can't do it and they can't do it. And he starts crying and temper tantruming. I basically will let that just keep going and going and going, just it, not address it, not tell him to stop crying, not tell him it's okay. If at some point I think I'm going to lose them with one child, I can lower the bar. I can be like, okay, don't worry about hitting the target. Let's just throw the ball as hard as we can, right? And then next thing I know, I have them throwing the ball as hard as they can. And when they accidentally hit the target, I go, oh my God, you hit the target. <laughs> but I don't ever say, hey, crying's not going to help. I shouldn't say I never say that. That's, 
that's a bad cue. I, I just gave it energy. You, I mm-hmm. think I'm helping, I'm, but like that someone has to be already so intellectually um, evolved to hear that and realize and not take that personally. Right. You have to be like, you know, that's like something like you could probably tell a games athlete, Hey, stop that. Crying's not going to help. You know what I mean? You can cry mm-hmm. later. You know what I mean? You're not a fight. Like that's what you say to a fighter or a boxer, not a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they, I'll go on. I, I was just going to say this, this is, comes down to for coaches awareness, you know, and when you're, when you're in a, in a class and you're seeing somebody, if there's not a safety issue, so let's take safety out of the equation. Let's say the person is moving okay. with some sort of sound mechanics. They're not going to hurt themselves, but they're right. getting so visibly frustrated and either losing emotional control over the, the workout because they can't do the movement or they failed a bunch of times or they missed the mark, whatever. Sometimes not going over and saying anything is the best route because no matter what you do at that point, in some cases, even if you go over there and try to be constructive, they are probably going to feed that into the negative energy. And certainly if you go over there and try to be and you're negative, you'd be like, what's going on? I can't, what are you doing? That's definitely going to feed into that. Oftentimes what I'll do is I will just walk by, try to see what the situation read if they want my assistance or not. Again, they're not hurting themselves. And if they open the door, I'll give them something. But if not, stay away for a little bit. They're not going to hurt themselves and they'll move on to the next station and maybe on the go round. Yes, they'll move on. Yes, like the, yes, they'll, they'll eventually move on. One of my, one of my children, uh, uh, the, uh, another thing is, is knowing obviously your clients. I have to be very careful what I ask Avi to do. So let's say I've never seen him climb the rope and I say to him, hey, let's get three rope climbs. I've How old is Avi? Sorry. Sh- he's six now. Okay. But since he's been about four or five, I've realized I have to be very careful what goals I put in front of him because he will beat himself to death to get him. So Mm. let's say I say, hey, can you walk back and forth across the balance beam 10 times? And let's say he gets to eight and then he starts falling off. 30 minutes later, he'll be out there crying, still doing it. And if I say, hey, Avi, it's cool. You were amazing. Good job. Let's come inside and get some water. He'll scream at me. No, I need 10. Right. So now I know that about this guy mm-hmm. and it's, and it's been like that. He, what, what he says, and we know adults like this too, right? They're committed to what they say. They're committed to the goal, to a fault. Mm-hmm. And so I, now I know that. So now I'll say, now I use a different approach to them. Hey, Avi, do you want to walk across the balance beam? Oh, that's cool. Hey, let's count and see how many you can do. Like I don't set 10 out in front of him, right? <laughs> he already has the work ethic. He's going to go to... He's going to go as hard as he can. He's going to give it this focus, his determination. But if I set a goal for him that's unachievable, I'm fucking him. Sorry. I'm, no. I'm, I'm setting him up for failure. That, and that, That's awesome. I, I like that and, a lot. And I, don't, and I never want to set them up for failure. Ever, ever, ever. There's so much failure out there already. I don't ever need to set them up for failure. Are your other sons the same? Do your other sons take that kind of approach to task orientation or no? Not like this. This is um, not not like this. We'll see as they develop. I will say this: they none of my kids are. I've never seen anything in any of my kids that makes them gifted. Like none of none of the things came easy. But the two the twins, um, Ari and Joseph, they are catching Avi at a speed that's I, I can't even get my head wrapped around. They're basically so to, just to give a few examples. Avi's been skating for. 150 days now every day for 150 days it's an experiment i'm doing with him um so he started at five and a half the twins are already four years old and where he was and where he was when he was five and a half and i see that everywhere i see that in their jujitsu i see that in their tennis they're about a year ahead of him and everything which kind of just blows my mind wow they really look up to him and they just want to do everything he does um Obviously started rolling his eyes at me when I would ask him to do stuff like three months ago. So he was like five, almost six. Now the twins already do it and they're four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're, they're learning all the good and all the bad. Yeah. No, from that, Avi. But they don't, but really they don't, cool they don't stuff. have that. Yeah. That, they're not obsessed. They're not obsessed in the same way he is. They're a little more compassionate with themselves. Yeah. Obviously has, does, is not compassionate with himself. There's so many analogies here. I mean, this is the one of the, this is 
one of the main reasons, there's so many reasons I want to talk to you, but one of the main reasons I want to talk to you is that there's so many beautiful analogies between what you're demonstrating at a really high level and with so much content through three playing brothers and the lessons that can be learned for coaches, you know, the, the psychology aspect of it, of how you're dealing with these different quote unquote athletes or your sons who are in front of you, the task orientation versus uh, more fluid goals, how you're exposing them to a, an array of different things and, and not expecting them to be astounding at everything that they're doing and allowing them to experience it and being with them there through the process. I, there's a, so much of that that can be valuable for trainers. And it, this is known to be true in the community, at least with a lot of the coaches that I interact with, is that coaching kids isn't so dissimilar to coaching athletes. Now, obviously, there's some major differences in you know, what the language and the approach and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of the cueing and the types of interactions that you're going to have are very, very similar. What are the, what, when you're watching somebody who's coaching your kids, because you have a lot of people in your life that coach your kids, what, what do you look at? And you're like, wow, that person is really crushing it with them. And what on the opposite side, when they're not crushing it, what are you seeing? It's funny. Cause I, I, I think about this a lot. Because all of their last night, I was laying in bed with my wife, and I started comparing these two coaches, um, um, two totally different disciplines: the piano teacher versus the ballet teacher. Mm. And so, so he has a lot of different coaches. He does ballet. One, they, all three boys do ballet one, once a week. They do piano once a week. They do jujitsu three days a week. They do a private jujitsu once a week. They do um, a striking class. They wow. do tennis clinic. I mean, yeah, they do. It's just constant going. And it's, it's, it's there, man, it's such a trip that you ask that because I can't even find a consistency. Okay. So one of the consistencies that, that I see, um, none of them look like they're sleeping. None of them look like they're sleepwalking, Right. So like in school, you had teachers in high school or junior high or elementary school and you would catch them sleepwalking, right? You never see any of these people sleepwalking. Some of them are so playful and nice to the kids and other of them, man, the tennis coach is serious as a fucking heart attack, man. He is so serious. But in. And he, yes, so in. in. Like, he, like I, yeah. And, and I have the kind of personality that when I see that, I'm always looking for a loose string on his sweater, like to pull it and kind of <laughs> unravel him. Like, I want to see him smile. I want to see him crack. He's too young to be that serious. He must be like, I don't even think he's 30, but, um, where, where the ballet teacher is, is, is gets the same out of my kids still teaches them the plie and the tondu, but is so playful with mm. them. She never addresses their bad behaviors. The tennis coach addresses all their bad behaviors. Hey, do not speak when I am speaking. You know what I mean? Where uh, the ballet teacher is when you're talking, she throws a star on the ground and says, Ari, why don't you stand on the star? And then throws a circle on the other side of the room and says, Avi, why don't you stand on the circle? And the kids separate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the um, the jujitsu coach, the um, he doesn't have to say anything. He stands tall and he has the brown belt with some red on it. And, uh, what he says goes, <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he has this air about him. That's like, there's you know, something to be said about that. Something yeah. to be said about that. So, but they're all, um, uh, the, the piano teacher that there's no, when he gets to the house, there's almost, there's no, there's not even a salutation not even like, hi, Avi. It's like, sit down, put your hands on the key. You know what I mean? And they mm. go, <laughs> there's the, it's, um, it's really cool. I do all of this. I had this talk with Chuck Carswell about this. He was like, Hey, why do you use so much outside resources? Mm -hmm. And the reason why the main reason why I started all this is I really, when I was a kid, my dad, my dad owned a wine and cheese store and I used to go to the wine and cheese store 
every weekend and I would work there from when I was like four years old to eight years old. And I remember even at five years old working the cash register and talking to adults and how can I help you? And would you like a bag? And adult interaction for me was huge. And I really want my kids to feel really, really comfortable around adults more, more so than even I did. And I want them to see how inter- a professional adults who are masters in their discipline interact and how they treat themselves and people. So that was kind of, and, and I know that their vocabulary will increase because these people use a, a, a vernacular that's specific to their discipline and so that's the real reason that i went that route yeah so people said how did you choose tennis i will because they have it down the street (laughs) i mean there's there's no there's no uh a lot of it's just fortuitous right yeah well the cool thing is i think no matter the rhyme or reason about how you chose some of these disciplines for your sons is that what you're seeing out of the coaches who are being effective with them is that these people are passionate, although their approaches also might be different. They're super passionate and they're invested in the pursuit that's in front of them. I, one of the biggest pet peeves for me in regard to coaching and things that I see sometimes in our space is that coaches get too comfortable. They get too easily distracted. They're not invested in the experience that's at hand for the athletes for that hour. And that's a huge, not only loss for the people who are looking to you for inspiration and to set an example and to leave having the best hour of their day, but also potentially a risk from just a monitoring these people's safety and health and wellness. I think that that's a major responsibility that you're just shirking off because you want to scroll Instagram during class. That's, that's unacceptable to me. I wouldn't be down for that. And I think that that's cool to see that no matter in these other disciplines where you've chosen these coaches for your sons, your most prized possessions, right? that that's a major characteristic of them. I guess I don't give the teachers enough credit. I never see that. I never, like they are obvious teachers. Teachers are all um, like, like, I mean, in it, they're like, they are present. I never see them look at their phone. They don't talk to other clients. I mean, they are in it. Yeah. Well, more than anything else that I think, can be an effect that that sets you up for success as a coach, because if you're not doing that, I don't care how, how fucking talented you are on the other side of the equation. You're not going to be effective. People are not going to listen to you if you're distracted the whole time. That, that is a key. One of the, one of the things that's a, that's a, yeah. One of the things that's a trip in this space. And I think it's particularly bad, probably in Santa Cruz, California is there's this, when the gymnastics center was open, you could tell that like my kid had so much more potential and needed to be pushed harder. And of course in gymnastics, the harder you push someone, the more chance there's going to be, you know, some sort of orthopedic calamity, right. Falling on your head, breaking Mm -hmm. an arm, but there is a, and I don't see it in any of my kids' classes now. And it would be a mistake to say that this gymnastics class was like this. Let me tell the story. So Avi went to this gymnastics class and I really, really liked his teacher and it was at Santa Cruz gymnastics and it was really, really good, but I felt like it was a little slow for him. I wanted them to push him more, but whatever, like, okay. And when I talked to some people about it, they said, Hey, there's a real concern amongst a lot of parents that their kids are going to get hurt. So that's why they're pacing it like this. I'm like, okay. Then he got this other teacher the next teacher up when he graduated who like would never say hi to me. I, she was rude. She was, she, I didn't feel like she was very warm and loving to the kids, but I started seeing progress with Avi that I had never seen before. Mm. And I had to be, make sure that that that's what I wanted. And that's what I focused on. And I would see her be a little more rough with the kids. And then I, I, re, I realized what people are talking about. So in this kid space, there's a babysitter element, right? There's oh, yeah. this element that people are taking their kids to gymnastics. Well, are you taking your kids here to gymnastics to be a better person? Or are you taking them there to be babysat? Are you taking your kids to tennis because you want your kid to learn how to play tennis as a lifelong sport and to maybe enter some tournaments and build confidence around it? Or are you taking them there so that you can go sit at the bar at the club for an hour and get a drink? And there's this thing that those coaches in that world are like managing. I don't know if it's like that in a CrossFit gym. I guess the, the best thing that you could hope for is that everyone's there to make themselves better. And, or, and then the second best thing is that someone's there looking for a husband or wife. But, <laughs> but in this space, um, in, in the kid space, you see a lot of like, 
and, and, and I, I'm really fortunate that I don't see that right now. I think actually COVID's made that better because the classes are smaller and the teachers have really stepped up their game. But uh, in this space, you see a lot of people like wanting to use these as babysitting these activities. Yeah. So I, you know, I, in the adult coaching uh, realm for fitness, I think it's the coach's responsibility to remind the athletes why they're there and making sure that that is pervasive across the experience and consistent with every experience. So it doesn't become a place where you just show up as, and, and not expect greatness out of yourself. You know, it might take some time to warm up into that, but Hey, when we get into this, I want you to really start to explore your best effort for that day, your best attitude, leave all your other stuff outside. Don't bring your bad day in focus here and be present. And I think that that's really important to remind people. I think from the coach's side of the equation, I think coaches can sometimes turn it off a little bit more than the athletes turn it off in our space. And that, that, that bothers me a whole lot. And in, what do you mean by turn it off? What's that look like? I, I just see coaches not investing everything into the class. And I tend to think that, and this is my generalization on the space is that we are all too comfortable with running group classes and that we need to step our game up. We need to be more passionate, more inspirational, more invested in the experience for the athletes across the board and not allow ourselves to fall into these habits that are very easy and comfortable for us to take up like scrolling Instagram during your class or being distracted or even outside of the class environment, eating the things and displaying the things on social media that you know are going to get likes. And that's easy for you. It's harder to make the decision not to do that but it's the best thing for your clients and your athletes. And that's really your responsibility as a coach to do what's best for the people who are standing in front of you, who have entrusted you with your health and wellness. That that's it. So that's a big one for me, that comfort. I need to be the, not me personally, but we need to be the enemy of comfort in this space. I've seen that. I've, I've seen, um, I've seen a CrossFit class at a CrossFit affiliate where the class has started and there's people who it's their first day in there. And I've seen two uh, man, a boy and girl coach just like sitting in the office flirting with each other. And wild. I want to say, I want to say I've only seen it like once or twice. And most of the time, and most everywhere I've been, the coaches are like on you, like they are giving you fucking attention and energy. But when I see that it's almost it's almost like one of those Instagram accounts, like kids getting hurt. Like you can't even, you can't even believe that's like, aren't like, aren't you embarrassed that you're behaving like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. It is really, it, I, I embarrass myself even thinking about it at the end of Avi, at the end of every one of Avi's tennis classes, his tennis coach pulls everyone together. And I even saw a kid yesterday whose mom's like, Hey, like they, they were late to a dentist appointment. She's like, come on, come on, come on. And the coach is like, no, she needs to line up. I need her for one more minute. And he called wow. them all back. And every that. class at the end of class, he makes them go over the four pieces that are important for every day of training. And, and there, and I forget exactly what they are, but it's like, have fun, try your hardest. And then there's two more like that. You know what I mean? Um, uh, oh, be a good sportsman. Um, and then there's a fourth one. I forget what it is, but he drills that into them three days a week at the end of class, makes them all line up. They have to each repeat it in the order. And, and it's, uh, you're right. That is like, that's, and he holds himself to that standard too. Yeah, dude. I, I think that that is a, that is one area also where coaches struggle. I think coaches struggle a lot in the, in the non-technical parts of classes in the introduction, in transitions, and in closings. And closings, for, just for a quick example, a lot of times when a workout ends, sometimes I see coaches just walk off the floor. Like there was no culmination of the experience, no ending moment, no lessons learned. You, in, to make the experience feel like it is complete, to give the athletes that full value, do what that tennis coach has just done. Gather everybody up. And it doesn't need to be the same two or three things every class, but Share a couple of things that made you particularly proud. Thank them for being there and spending their time with you and then send them out for the rest of their day. And all of a sudden your class goes from a seven 
to attend. So that to me is giving of yourself is huge. Yeah. Huge. For sure. For sure. For huge. sure. Yeah. Kids hey, want so, that. Savon, I know you're a very a busy guy. I know you got time to spend with your family this morning. I appreciate you spending time with me here. I, I have one last quick question for you because this was something okay. that surprised me when I was doing a little research last night. Is that five foot were... five, 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 <laughs> five, 60. I'm 65 inches tall. <laughs> I may have got you like by an inch and a half. Um, People always think I'm taller. Not <laughs> Nobody true. Not taller. true. <laughs> you were heavily involved in the documentary pulling John. Yes. Which for me, I'm a, a fanatic about, uh, documentaries about the human experience and, and true crime for an, another uh, outside kind of uh, realm. But Pulling John is the story of John Berzink, who was the greatest American arm wrestler in the, in the, in the his, in history, right? John Berzink yeah, yeah. was a phenomenon. He was basically, yeah, he's basically the Michael Jordan of, if arm wrestling would have been huge, like if it would have been as big as other sports, he would have had no peer. He still would have no peer. He was a, he's, a freak of nature ahead of his time. It's too bad. Arm wrestling is such a cool sport. Um, so basically I had made this movie, our house about disabled adults. And I had won like 30 film festivals and I was on just so, had so much momentum and super excited. And I wanted to make this documentary about the Armenian genocide. And while I was Googling around about the Armenian genocide, I accidentally came on an arm wrestling site <laughs> and bam. So um, my girlfriend and I uh, at the time, um, started making this movie, Pulling John. Um, we traveled all over the world. Um, that's actually how I started first getting gigs of making shows for ESPN. They needed wow. arm wrestling shows. And um, so, yeah, basically, I, I I'd never thought that movie was actually going to be finished. At some point, probably like a year from completion, Mom, my girlfriend and I separated and her new boyfriend was um, interested in like helping us finish it. Mm -hmm. And so he, 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 uh, Naveed Kansari, and he pushed it across the, the finish line, gave it the wow. energy, the motivation and the money it needed to push it across the finish line. Yeah. That was an amazing project. I'm so, uh, I'm still friends with all those guys. Wow. Um, yeah. That it, that was a huge moment for me too. Uh, one of my friends who was a big Napster downloader at the time told me, "Oh my!" And it was um, he's like, "Oh my God, you made it into the top ten current downloads of movies being stolen." And I was like, <laughs> so proud of that. Like Avatar was at the top, and Pulling John was number ten. So I was Pulling pretty, John was a fantastic yeah. movie, a really well Thank done you. documentary. I, Thank I you. enjoyed the human story about John, and and I haven't watched it in years, but it was really focused on John's phenomenon of being a smaller man in a sport where there are much bigger competitors and him being able to dominate through physical gifts and the mindset that he had in approaching this. And I think there were two gentlemen that were rivaling him. Right. And then you get to the end, yeah. and there's a culmination. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah. if you're looking for a great documentary besides every second counts, Right, pulling, right, pulling right. John is a right. fantastic one. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm. Um, the next project I'm embarking on um, is I'm going to. People always ask me how to get their kids started. Mm -hmm. What should they do? And the truth is, is that all I did was walk Avi. I walked Avi everywhere. Walk, 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 walk. And anytime he wanted to stop and jump off a curb or run up and down a driveway, I would let him do that, and I would let him do it for thirty minutes at a time. But people want something more they want structure they want like uh, a program so i've started i'm gonna make 50 i wrote down 50 workouts and i'm gonna start filming them with my kids i put my very first cool. one on the instagram account and on my patreon account and the first one's very simple just jump in a in a two by two foot square rest a minute and jump some more but i'm gonna start doing that that's kind of like my thing that i'm just doing now for fun the next project well very cool i'm excited for yep. it and just for the listeners here where can people find a little bit more information about some of the films that you've done your personal instagram account but also what are your where's the channel for three playing brothers where can they find you so uh youtube three playing brothers patreon three playing brothers um almost 99 percent of everything i do on patreon is free so don't be afraid to go there just because it's a pay site um 
and uh, the Instagram account, Three Plane Brothers and Sevan Matosian. Oh, so cool. that's, yep. Yeah, Sevan, there's so much other stuff here that I had written down that I wanted to cover with you. And, you know, this is a great conversation. Maybe in the future we can get you back on. But I appreciate you. I'd love that. With me. Yeah, thank you so much. 